Welcome to the City Edge Church podcast. For more information, please visit our website at cityedgechurch.org.au. We hope that you enjoy this message. Hey, amazing honour to be speaking here for our As in Heaven series. Um, first of all, big honour to our senior pastors, um, specifically from me. I, I just... I. Our pastors, they invest so much into us, and I, I know the fruit of that, but what they do for this church, they, they really do bleed for the gospel. They do. It's their, it's their life, but it's their whole life. There's not a part of their life which isn't um, given to seeing the gospel advance through this church, and um, it's, it's just so amazing that we can see them go off to other churches and, and uh, preach the gospel there, which is awesome. Also, big honor to my family, three generations of it here today, um, and my, my dad's birthday today as well, so happy birthday, Dad. Um, you're the reason I am who I am, so uh, big honor. But hey, um, like I said, so excited to be speaking in our As in Heaven series where it's really all about worship. And I thought a good way, as our, this is our first um, service to, to start it off, I, I thought a good way to start it would be to ask and try and answer the question of why should I worship? You know, why should I worship? What's, what's the point of it? Obviously, a pretty uh, selfish kind of question on the outset, but it's nonetheless a good question to ask. And so I've just got three points tonight, three points on why we should worship. But before I start, just a little, like, clarification. And there's something I just want to say from the front, which I think will make this message a lot easier to understand, is that worship and loving God are really the same coin, you know, the same coin, two different sides. To worship is to love God, to love God is to worship. And worship isn't just singing a song, you know, worship is actually all of our lives given to God, you know, the, the Bible calls us to love Him with all that we are, and um, that, that's what true worship is, it's not singing songs with a nice voice. For anyone here that doesn't have a nice voice, you're welcome, all right? You can still worship, because it's not just that. Worship is loving God. Worship is loving God. But um, there's... um. As people, we value things, right? We love a lot of different things. I, for one, I love the Los Angeles Dodgers, the baseball team. They're absolutely incredible. Um, if you want any more info on them, just talk to me later. I'd be happy to chat your ear off. Um, and because I love them, they get a piece of my heart. They get a piece of my time. They get a piece of my Instagram feed. I, I, I had the revelation this week. I was like, you can really figure out what people love by what they use their Instagram for, don't, can't you? And then I got really convicted because I saw my feed and was like, look at all those photos of me. That's not good. We are better that I cleaned it up. But um, but. What we, what we value, what we love is, in some sort of sense, a little bit about what we worship. Now, I'd never say I worship the Los Angeles Dodgers, although others might argue about that, um, but I love them. I, I really do. They, they get a part of me, and for all of us here, we've all got things that we love, things that we value. It might be, um, it might be um, our, our looks, our image, um, as we might see through an Instagram feed. It might be Cars, who's one of those people that has, like, all your Facebook profile pictures are just cars. Yep, that's, I know, I know a few people that are like that. It might be our family. God bless. That's a great thing to love. Um, it, could be, it could be anything, really. There's, there's all different things that we love, all different things that, um, that we value. Um, but one, my, my first point tonight, and I'll actually, I'll, I'll preempt it with a little thing, is that I've learned something recently through following the Los Angeles Dodgers. I've, I've learned a very hard life lesson, which I'd love to share with you all. It's a little bit brutal, um, so please, um, you know, take it with grace. But the thing I've learned from the Los Angeles Dodgers is that if you don't get the greatest thing, you didn't really get anything at all. Okay, so what's happened is that the LA Dodgers, in the past two years, God bless their souls, they have won their division two years in a row, right? 
And then not only that, but they won the first round of the playoffs two years in a row again. Not just that, they won the first round, they, they won the second round of the playoffs two years in a row. So they got to the World Series two years in a row. But do you know what happened at the World Series two years in a row? They lost. They came second. And as a fan, I've become to realize that if you didn't get that greatest thing right, then the rest didn't actually matter too much there. Um, now, praise be to God, this isn't just me talking about baseball. There's a good spiritual principle in here right now is that with our lives, if we're not going to get the first thing right, then the other stuff actually doesn't matter as much as we maybe once thought it did. See, when the Dodgers won the division, I was like, my goodness, this is the greatest day of my life. Thank you, Jesus. Then they won the first half. I was like, thank you, Jesus. And we get in these perspective where we see these little wins along the way, and we're like, man, things are going so well. But when we don't get the greatest thing right, we actually look back and realize, man, all that stuff that I was working towards, all that stuff that was being built up along that journey, it actually didn't matter as much. But um, I'm, I'm here to, to help us out. I'm here to, to point us to the Word of God, to point us to the words of Jesus, which it's so good. The Bible's not that hard. It really isn't. Like, okay, in a sense it is. It's, um, it's a couple thousand years old, so there's a, you know, that can sometimes be a limiter. But really, it puts the truth so, so plainly. It doesn't cover it up with all, you know, this, this shroud and mystery. It actually states it so plainly. And it really gives us the meaning of life, why we're here, the greatest thing that we should be going to achieve. In just a very simple verse. So I'd love to read from Matthew 22, verse 36 to 37, which says this. And this is someone talking to Jesus, and they say, Teacher, which commandment is the greatest in the law? And Jesus declared, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. See, right here, right here, Jesus tells us what the greatest thing it is that we can accomplish in our lives. The greatest of the law, the greatest command that God has given to humanity. And what is it? It's to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. And so my first point tonight of why should we worship or why, why should we love is that love is the greatest commandment. It is. It's the greatest thing that we could ever do with our lives is to love God. That's, that's it, honestly. We could probably just pack up this preach and just work on that. But just right from there is, hey, because that's it. That's the greatest thing. You know, when I, I love, there's this amazing quote um, from um, a, a saint called um, St. John of the Cross, and if we can have it on the screen there. And he says this, at the evening of life, we shall be judged on our love. You see, when we all finally do get to those pearly gates, I hope they're pearly, the world's been telling me they are, um, God's not going to ask us how we did get in that home. He's not actually going to ask you how you did building your career. He's not even going to ask you how, well, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll temper this. It's definitely not going to be the first thing he asks you. You know, he might ask you how you did with your family, but it's actually not going to be the first thing. That's an important thing, but it's not going to be the first thing. The first thing, the greatest thing, the world series of Christianity is exactly this, for us to love God. So simple, right? So simple. And um, I, um, the thing is, is that love is actually a choice. You know, I'm, um, I'm, I, I, I wasn't actually, I wasn't gifted by God with very um, builder-like hands. I was gifted with piano hands, which I've made great use of, praise God. Um, but builder hands I didn't really get. I, um, I remember one of the scariest moments of my life. I was out on a date many years ago, and I went to this Turkish 
fancy place shop. And because I'm the kind of guy who, even if I know what the best thing on the menu is, if I've had it before, I want to get the new thing anyway. So I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to get this weird Turkish soda or whatever. And I get this soda, I take it to my table, and with my piano hands, which were all sweaty from it being summer and just... I think we know this is going, I'm trying to undo this thing, and I'm literally there for like, I'm doing it for like two seconds, I'm like, it's not going, it's like five seconds, and I slowly bring it under the table, and I'm still going, and I'm not kidding, it was a solid minute, I don't know what happened, I think someone literally super glued this together, either that or I needed a bottle opener, but I'm there for a minute under the table being, please God, please God, like I'm ready to just get up from the table and run, like 10 more seconds, and I'm just running as hard as I can to get away from that situation. Finally, praise be to God, the lid opened. Hey, and just to clarify, like, you give me a salsa jar right now, I'll open it, okay? It was, it, that thing was tight. It was tight. I don't know what happened, but any guy knows, like, that's not the situation you want to be in right there. Got it undone. It was good. Um, but I realized, I, I, thinking back to this, I realized that my hands, they weren't really made for building. You know, I, I actually remember building my bed when I uh, moved out of home, and I built every single bit of it, but I I, for some reason, I, I wasn't even intentional. I didn't get the, um, the pole that's meant to go in the very middle on completely correctly. And so I thought it was all good. And then I hopped on my bed um, that night and it just went like this. <laughs> just straight like that, basically. And um, the, the point I'm trying to make with this is that if we don't get our foundations right, if we don't get our foundations right, then things can quite easily fall apart. Um, there's a great, I'll, I'll let Jesus tell the parable for it, not me, um, actually through the Bible here. There's a great parable um, in Matthew chapter 7, and it says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now, hopefully the, the message that parable is trying to communicate is, is pretty apparent. It's, and it's exactly this, is that we've got a choice of what we build our lives upon. It can either be his commands, as that said, his words, which say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. Or it can be literally anything else. And the Bible makes it so plain. One will lead to a rock-like life, a life that sustains through every storm, through every trial, no matter what it is. And one, when the rain eventually comes, when the floods eventually rise, when the wind eventually blows, because it always does, that life will begin to crumble. And this is the truth, is that if we can get our foundations right, if we can get this right, that the greatest thing, our greatest aim in life should not be that new house, should not be, you know, the, um, that girl of our dreams or guy of our dreams, but should actually be us being worshippers, true worshippers from the, the depths of our soul with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength, then we've got something right there. So my first point for why should we worship is that it's just the greatest thing. It really is. There's nothing else. There's nothing, I'm not going to... No, I will say, there is nothing better you can do with your life than to worship. Nothing better. You know, there's other good things, but there's nothing better, actually. It is the greatest thing. My second point is this, is that worship defeats the darkness. Now, um, when I was a kid, I, I was a pretty normal kid, and I was, you know, a little scared of the dark. It wasn't, um, it wasn't like, you know, a crazy crippling fear or anything. Just, you know, some nights, you're a kid, you get scared, and, you know, that's what it was. I was six years old. And, um... 
I think most parents' response to that is they'll, um, you know, either tell their kid to suck it up and, you know, like, turn every light off in the house. If you're that parent, don't be that parent. Uh, <laughs> um, some parents might buy a light, uh, what, what do they call it, a night light? You know, there's a whole industry based upon fear of kids, which is a little messed up when you think about it. People are making money off kids' fear of the dark. Um, or some parents, you know, they might let them come in the room, whatever. But my mum is um, a very wise woman, and she didn't do any of those, at least in my memory. Um, what she would do when I couldn't sleep or I was scared of the dark or something like that, is she would actually bring a CD player into my room she would, yeah, you know, you know, we know where it's going. She'd bring a CD player into my room, she'd plug it into the wall, and she'd put on, I don't even, I was trying to find the CD today, I couldn't find it, it's gone, um, disappeared from sight. She'd put on a worship CD. And you know what? It worked so well. It worked so well. All the fear in my mind just immediately went. I didn't have to count any more sheep. My, my, uh, my scattered brain suddenly came together again. I, I, I remember this as pure as day. Like It is a very strong memory of my childhood, is how worship worked, even in just my, my simple little six-year-old fear of the dark. Because you know what? All fear is still fear. You know, the same fear that attacks a six-year-old of the darkness is the fear that might attack the, you know, 25-year-old of loneliness or the, the 40-year-old of never making in their career. You know, it's the same fear there. But I, I, I remember so, and it was maybe it was one of the best lessons my mom ever taught me, is that worship, and she didn't teach it to me, um, you know, by preaching a, a Bible to me or anything. She, she taught it to me by practice. She taught me that worship is powerful against any force of darkness. And, um, you know, I'm, con- and I'm, I'm, I'm convinced of this fact. I'm, I'm just going to go on. Like, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that there is no greater remedy to depression, to anxiety, to, you know, to, to envy, to, to lust, to pride, than a heart of worship. Because what worship does is it turns a light on in here. It does. And where light is, there just can't be darkness. It does not make sense. It doesn't work in this world. When there is a light on, there is no longer darkness. And when we worship, when we say, God, here's my heart. God, here I am. Darkness has to flee. God and sin cannot be together. They just can't. And so when, we are, when we've got, and it eventually comes, there's darkness out in that world, but there's also darkness that comes in here sometimes. But you know what? You don't have to live with it anymore because you've got Jesus. You've got the word of your testimony where you're able to declare to the darkness, you're not Lord. You're not King. You're not God. Worship. Worship is what we go to. There's so many stories in the Bible of um, of exactly that, of worship being used as a weapon. I think the classic is the walls of Jericho, right? And for anyone that doesn't know, Israelites, they got these walls and, you know, they, they need to get into the city and they just, like, the biggest walls ever. It's this massive city. And, and their, their way of bringing these walls down wasn't by getting a battering ram or a catapult. What they did is they just walked around them seven times and sung worship to God. And as they did that the seventh time, the completed time, they all came down. And I was thinking about that story, but actually, the one I want to go to is one in the New Testament. Um, if we can go to Acts 16, um, this is a story about um, Paul and Silas, who are two missionaries. Um, you know, um, they're, they're out in Asia Minor. And to pre, like the stuff before the verses that we're about to, to read, uh, what they do is they get into some trouble because they, they um, heal this possessed girl who was being a fortune teller. She was a slave, and her owner was making money off her by telling fortunes. And so Paul and Silas come along and just go, Jesus, and uh, she's healed. But the thing is, the slave owner doesn't like this too much. And he goes to the big dogs, the authorities, be like, yo, 
these guys ruined my business. <laughs> like, come on, I was making money, they're causing chaos. And so the authorities, they grab him and uh, they throw him in jail. I'll, I'll read from here. Um, so from, yeah, 23 to 25, it says this. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in their inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other pr- prisoners were listening to them. Now, um, I remember as a kid reading this story or hearing the story and um, thinking, thinking it was so unrealistic. I, it's funny because like, I'd read a miracle story and be like, yeah, I completely believe that. But I'd read something like this and I'd be like, people don't act like that. Like, who goes to prison and sings songs and hymns? And um, I, I, the reason I thought like this is like, I kind of looked at Paul and Silas as these almost like two stooges figures who are walking through life, you know, head above the clouds, being like, oh, we're in prison. Oh, well, it'll be all right. Like, that's how I kind of thought about them. But as I've grown... I've uh, developed a little bit more wisdom, a little bit of, more of refinement in um, reading this story. And, you know, I don't think Paul and Silas were singing praises and, and worship and hymns to God in the situation because their flesh wanted to. I don't think they, they did it at all because they wanted to. I think they actually did it because they knew they needed to. They knew that the correct response to fear, the correct response to darkness, wasn't the worldly response of shrinking away of, you know, moaning and and pity, but the correct response was actually going to God and saying, here's my heart, you know, take it. Here's my heart, God, let me sing hymns of wonder to you. You know, it's, um, and I love the very next verse, if we got 26 up there, as soon as they, as soon as they did this, what happened? It says, suddenly there was a violent earthquake um, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. See, worship has the power to see chains come off your life. It does. <laughs> like, literally in this story, but in us, it has the power to see the chains that hold us back. You know, I'm, I'm all for, like, I'm, I'm all for going about the natural route. You know, if, if there's problems going on mentally, I'm all about, go see the counselor, go see the psychologist. I really am. But don't do it at the expense of worship. Never do it at the expense of worship. It should always be our first should always be our first. And you watch, as you begin to worship, you watch the light shine. You watch it just, you know, as a small flame it starts until it consumes all your problems, everything you were thinking about, and suddenly it's like, God, why didn't I just go to you at first? He's so good. He's so good. Worship defeats the darkness. And um, my, my last point here is, I, I love this, um, I was, yeah, I... I don't know about you, but I've never put myself in a washing machine. Um, I don't know if anyone has. There's actually people that have. I was looking at YouTube videos, because that's what you do when you preach. You've got to research. So I was like, people that have been in washing machines, and there's a guy who does it. He's like Houdini of washing machines. Like, he, I'm not even kidding. He puts himself in with handcuffs, and his whole thing is getting out of the washing machine with handcuffs. It's incredible. Go watch it when you get home. It's great. Not going to do it at church. Um, but I've never put myself in a washing machine, um, at least not by my memory, because it doesn't sound very nice, to be honest. Um, you know, just violently tumbling around, left to right, up to down, back to forth, hitting one wall, then going around and hitting the next, not being able to see anything, know where you are. It's, it doesn't sound like a very pleasant way, uh, just a pleasant thing to do. You know, I prefer stability. I prefer standing on two feet, one vision, seeing forward, just the singular thing. And... Um, I was thinking about this, and I realized is that so many people find it so easy to live their life in the washing machine, 
lived our life based on feelings and emotions. You know, I remember um, talking to a friend. Um, we were in about grade eight or grade nine, and we'd gone through school the whole time, so we knew each other pretty well. And um, I remember him just, we were just talking one day, and he said to me, he's like, man, do you remember what we used to feel and think like three years ago? We were so dumb, all those things that we were talking about and thinking about, and we both laughed. And then I said to him, and I was like, yeah, imagine what we'll be like three years from now. You know, we'll be, we'll be thinking the same thing about us now. And we laughed, but that time the laugh wasn't quite as hearty. It was a little awkward. It was a bit, it was a bit oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, and what I think this illustrates is that people were so easy to look at past versions of ourselves and, and look and be like, oh, that guy was an idiot. What was he thinking? What was he feeling? You know, the, I can't believe I, I thought or I can't believe I did those things. But when it comes to the present version of us, we're very easy to dismiss, aren't we? You know? The person, that what I was feeling a day ago, you know, a week ago, a year ago, that was so silly. What was I doing? Oh, but me now. No, no, no. I got it all good now. Don't, don't worry. No, I got it all. The present me's got it. It's, it was only the past me. Totally. It's just that one there. Does anyone, anyone resonate? Anyone know what I'm talking about? You find it so easy to do that. But the thing is, is that feelings aren't reliable. Yeah. Feelings, you know, I'm not married, but I know that feelings are not a solid foundation for love or marriage. I know many marriages actually get torn apart because they're completely founded on feelings. But the thing is, feelings can fade. Love is not meant to be based upon feelings. Love is not meant to be a washing machine of one thing to the other. In fact, love is actually meant to be stable. And that's why my my third point is this, is that love is a command. And this is a bit of a touchy one for our world. I, I hear people sometimes say, you know, why? And for the reference, if we remember the verse that I read before, it was that um, what, w- what was the greatest commandment is that you shall love the Lord your God. Not that it's a great idea to love the Lord your God. Not that, you know, love Him when you feel like it. Not love Him when you understand it. Not love Him when it's a good day or just love Him when it's a bad day. But no, you shall love the Lord your God. A lot of people, a lot of people actually look at that and they, they look at God and be like, oh, why would he need my love? You know, that sounds like a pretty weak God. Why would I want to believe in him? Why would I want to worship a God that commands it from me? But the thing is, is that God doesn't command our worship or command our love because he needs it. He actually commands it because we need it. He commands it because it gets us out of the washing machine. It gets us out of the feelings. It gets us out of the emotions and it sets our eyes on what really matters, which is him. And anyone that's worshiped knows that worship only ever brings good to your life. It only ever does. Worship only ever brings light. Worship only ever brings truth. I, I love the words of, of um, this uh, philosopher, theologian, weird guy named Kierkegaard. Honestly, he's super strange. Have a look at him. And as the band and singers come, he, he says this. And this is in reference exactly to that command, the command of loving God. He says this. There, where the merely human wants to storm forth, the command still holds. Just when the merely human would lose courage, the command strengthens. Just when the merely human would become tired and clever, the command flames up and gives wisdom. The command consumes and burns out what is unsound and impure in your love, but through it you shall be able to kindle it again, even when humanly considered all has been lost. I'm so glad God commands me to love. Because if he didn't, I might just listen to my feelings. I might just listen to what my brain's going through. I might just let that determine my life. But I think anyone that's a bit honest with yourselves knows that your feelings don't always lead to what is good. They don't always lead to what is true. They don't always lead towards what is holy. But the reality is that the Word of God does. It will never see you wrong. It never will. 
worship. Worship. It's a command. How weird's that? It takes a while to wrap your head around, I think. But it's a command for a very good reason. A very, very, very good reason. There's um, a verse in the Bible, which is, I love it. It was, um, yeah, a really, really powerful verse in just my journey. Um, it's James 4, verse 8. We normally read the first bit of it because we like that bit. But I'm going to read the whole bit. <laughs> it says this, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, I'll let the first bit talk for itself, but I just want to talk on that second bit for a second. Um, it's really hard to worship God when we've got a double mind. Jesus said this in Matthew 5. He said, Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. It's very hard to worship when our mind is on two things. It's very hard to behold the glory of God his goodness, his kindness, what he's done for you. And we're thinking about whatever it may be. But we're all, we're, we're all prone to it, aren't we? We're honest with ourselves. We're all prone to, even here on a Sunday, you know, seeing words about God, but maybe thinking about how the Dodgers are going. Maybe thinking about, you know, what's on for dinner later. Maybe thinking about what that person said to us and how we didn't like it. What does God say? <laughs> he says... Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know what's great about that? He says it like you can actually do it. And you can. We can actually speak into what we feel. We can actually speak into what the, the chaos of our mind can sometimes say. And say, no, I will worship. No. No to those thoughts. No to those feelings. No to those distractions. I will worship because he is worthy, because he is worthy to be gloried. Hey, can we all stand to our feet? I, um, I just really believe God wants to do something. I, I really believe that if we would just go to him tonight, not with a double mind, but with a single mind, with a mind that says, yes, God, I will worship, because the greatest thing I could do because I know it will dispel the darkness. And because you command me to do so, if we will do that. I believe God's going to do something great in our midst. So whatever the song may be, it doesn't really matter. Why don't we sing with our hearts tonight? We sing with everything we've got.